0: We are still in our Philippians series this morning and uh, we're going to go pretty quick through that handout uh, because we're going to take communion at the end of the service and, and fellowship with one another in communion with the Lord, which the oneness of that is a beautiful thing to God when God allows us all to be as one under his leadership and spirit. Through communion with Him, it's a sweet, sweet thing for Him. And the unity of that brings Him glory. So we want you to be a part of that as well. But in our series, in chapter 4 of Philippians, we've talked about standing firm. So Philippians 4.1, So my brothers whom I love and I long for, my joy and crown, do stand firmly in the Lord. Remember how much I love you. And then the second part of the chapter talks about standing peacefully. And when Paul explained to us that, he actually tells us in chapter 4, verse 7, if you're looking at your New Testament, chapter 4, verse 7, he says that there is a peace that passes understanding. It's an unexplainable peace that can guard. The word is sentry like a Roman soldier. There's a peace that God has that He can put in front of your heart's door, in your mind's door, so that nothing can come in or out that would upset you. It's that kind of peace. And he says there's a peace that... Guard your hearts and minds. But there's four commands that help you get there. And uh, those are all in your handout. I think we've covered those uh, two weeks ago, or the mic spoke last week from our one of our missionaries. But two weeks ago we talked about this, and here's the four practices necessary to have the peace. Philippians four four says you've got to be rejoicing, literally out loud, speaking joyful things out loud. You gotta be reasonable. Means you can't be all Wound up real tight. you got to be uh, gracious and reasonable people. Even when they mess up, even when people are, are disobeying or disloyal or whatever, you still got to show reasonability to them and kindness to them and mercy to them. Be reasonable. Then you have to be relaxed. Be anxious for nothing. Relax. And then you have to request God's help. Let your request be made known unto God, and He will give you this peace that passes understanding. He'll give you a peace that guards your heart. So those are the four, but chapter 4, verse 8 and 9 actually drops a fifth in right behind there that actually is very tied to it. Now, Philippians 4, verse 8 says this way. Just think about those four things, reasonable, rejoicing, reasonable, relaxing, and requesting. Now the fifth one is to be reflecting on pure things. Look at Philippians 4, verse 8. Finally, brethren, and it's, it, the finally is not, hey, I'm almost finished with the letter because he's still going to write a whole couple of paragraphs left. But he's actually saying, finally, to this peace thing we're talking about, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the peace, and the and the God of peace will be with you. So, chapter four, verse seven says, the peace of God. Will guard your hearts if you practice those four we looked at two weeks ago. Now he's saying the God of peace will be with you if you'll practice this last one, which is to dwell on this set of incredible virtues and values that he's talking about. Um, the spiritual battle, here's Francis Schaefer, great uh, theologian. If Kendall was here, he could tell you exactly when it's 50s and 60s and 70s, real popular when I was in college. Francis Schaeffer was, but he's like a theologian and a philosopher and a, just a brilliant, brilliant teacher. And uh, he, had this, he has this sentence that says, the spiritual, battle, the spiritual battle, the loss or the victory, is always in the thought world. Always in the thought world. In other words, the battle is fought in your mind first, and that's where you win or lose the battle. The context of chapter 4, you look at Philippians 4 as a big picture. The context of chapter 4 is joy, verse 1, peace, 2 and following down to 8 and 9. And then he's going to talk about contentment. And then he's going to talk about trusting and resting in the promises of God. So joy, peace, and contentment. How do I get those things? Well, I've got to practice the rejoicing, reasonable, relaxed, and requesting, but I also have to have the right input. I have to put the right stuff into my mind. I have to be reflecting on pure, things reflecting on pure things and then the peace of God will not only guard my heart but the God of peace will be with me. And there's a huge deal to having God of peace standing next to you. So, and the reason all this is important Paul knows this, the battle is always going to be in your mind. Satan is going to focus on distracting your mind from truth and purity because he wants to taint your inputs If he can get this data going in to be tainted, he can distract you with false truth, uh, with weak truth, with weak information, then he can taint the input and ultimately affect the output. Here's a quote from uh, Mark Twain. It's a great quote. What a wee little part of a person's life is his acts and his words. His real life is led in his head and is known to none but himself. All day long the mill of his brain is grinding his thoughts, not those other things are his history. So Mark Twain said your your mind is where actually everything is happening, and it's the, the bigger part of your life is not in what your actions are, but in what your mind is doing. This is an anonymous quote. We tried to find the source and it's just hard to find exactly who said it. A lot of people are credited with it but keeps backing up through history. Sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. When you look at that, it starts with thought and it ends with destiny. Your thoughts determine your destiny. And that's accurate, by the way. Uh, as you think about the thoughts that, you, that have dominated your mind, just think about the ones that have dominated your mind this past week. What's dominated your mind? We've had some horrible things happen in our country on the news. If you were tied to the news at all, you've had a terrible week mentally. Horrible things happening. Think about what dominated your thought. What does that say about your destiny? If you're going to let that consume your thought processes, where is your destiny going to end up? How is that going to end up? Paul gives us this virtual, or this virtue list in chapter 8. I mean, chapter 4, verse 8. He gives us this list of virtues to dwell on and think on that are meant to protect us. By the way, it's not a trick. It's not like a spiritual trick you can learn. It's not mind over matter. And and it's definitely not the the teachings that are are really unhealthy teachings um, about positive mental thinking. Um, There's some really bad stuff that happened uh, years ago. Uh, with some of that and, and, and you should have a positive mental attitude I talk to you about that all the time the Bible says by the way we win <laughs> so your attitude should be we win we win doesn't matter if we're losing all the way through it we win at the end That's, I go back to my favorite example of our national championship last year with you know, the University of Alabama we were not winning the entire game We did not have. we were not ahead ever in the national championship last year good job Georgia only problem is you lost because the very last play we win. Well, it doesn't matter. If You look at Paul's life as a minute missionary. He loses a lot of ground. He's in prison a lot. He's beaten. He's chased out of town. He's you know he's disrespected by about everything that happens. And yet at the end of the day, Paul says, you know I. He says my life is I'm going to receive a crown of righteousness. Because I've finished the course, I've run the race, I've persevered, and I get to win. doesn't matter how it looks on paper to him. It matters that he stood firm, he trusted in God's Word, and he obeyed God's Word. And that's exactly what this text is telling us we need to be a part of today. And, and we need to have this specific thinking. As a man thinks, Proverbs 23, 7, As a man thinks, so is he. Now here's another quote. But here's another quote that really is exactly the same thing we just said. Watch your thoughts, they become your words. Watch your words, they become your actions. Watch your actions, they become your habits. Watch your habits, they become your character. Watch your character, it becomes your destiny. Once again, thoughts to destiny. And that was by uh, Frank Outlaws, the one who said that one. It's really very similar uh, to to the other one. Now some of you nerds in here, geeks and... uh, And techie people uh, know that years ago, when they first started trying to get computers into common man's hands, they had all these challenges because computer engineers and scientists, who were, you know, egg handy brilliant, were trying to put this very delicate thing that required exactly the right input into people's hands that weren't trained to handle it. And so before they had all this, your 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 computers and smartphones and all that today have so much things that protect you from putting in the wrong stuff that you can't mess up the software. That didn't used to be true. You used to could mess up the software really bad. Um, you used to could just type one wrong thing into the oldest style computers and shut down the whole system or or just burn it up, just fry the memories. You, there were days when it was. You could just mess it up by one little keystroke and you're done. Like, whoop, let me do that. Oh, well, it's over. Right? Well, they had a phrase they came up with through all that time, the, the early guys that built it all, um, because people used to say, well, I, I didn't do that. You know, they'd call the tech guy. My tech guy sitting out here. They'd call the tech guy and go, hey, I, I didn't do that. And they go, no. If the computer did this, you did this. The computer's never going to do something you didn't input into it. It only handles the input, whatever you type in, now it's going to behave this way. And, and there was this deal in, they, they created this term, GIGO, not GIGA. We have gigabytes and all that goofy stuff now, terabytes and gigabytes and all that. This was GIGO, G-I-G-O. It was the earliest engineers came up with this term that they would teach people garbage in, garbage out. If you put stupid stuff in your computer, stupid things you're going to happen in your computer, Garbage in, garbage out. They called it gigo, and it was a, a real, was honestly, an engineering term that was developed in those early days. The same is true for our minds. The very first sin that we know of tri- scripturally is when Satan fell from heaven. When Lucifer fell, his sin was in his mind pride. He had this arrogance about him being equal to God and Christ, and that wasn't going to fly in heaven. And so he was disgusted. Barred from heaven. He was removed from heaven because of it. Our sins always begin... It's very important you get this. Your sin always begins as a thought process in your mind. The the sin of greed, the sin of covetousness, it always begins in the mind. The sin of pride or, or lust, the sin of envy. All of it begins in your mind, then it becomes an action. So if the enemy can win your mind... Satan can win you. Satan loves to attack the mind so that your outward behavior becomes sinful. Proverbs 23, 7. As a man thinks, so is he. As a man thinks, you define your life by the way you think. We call, Paul commands us in verse 5 uh, and, and 6, he said, be, verse 6 says, be anxious for nothing. He's actually saying you need to erase your memory of these thoughts that are making you anxious, these worried thoughts. You need to erase the memory of that. Well, what am I going to put in place? Because an empty mind is a dangerous thing (laughs) because something's got to fill it. Well, what you're going to fill it with is verse 8 and the virtues of verse 8. And he wants you to dwell on these things. So here's some very specific thinking Paul's going to talk about. And it starts with the last phrase of verse 8. I want you to catch this. He says, dwell on things and It means focus your mind around them. The word is very strong. Logizomai, to my Greek brother that's learning Greek. Logizomai is the word we get logic from. It's also the root word. is the word we just get the word from. Logos is at the very root of this. And, and a logos is, is a, a reason or a word and it means to compute or calculate, to take it all into account, to deliberately weigh it out. And it conveys the idea of estimating or calculating. And, and by the way, in the, in the Greek it means continually be calculating these six things. There's six things that he lists and then there's two little summary statements. There's six things that he lists. Be continually calculating and evaluating this, these good things on the list. So let's go through the list and then we're going to give you a little quiz at the end. You probably want to pay attention so you don't fail your quiz. So verse one, or number one, the specific thinking. Think on these things. Paul says, dwell on these things. What do I think on? Uh, Well, first of all, I think on whatever is true. The word means literally factual. It means it's a reality. It's a reality. Our society today is filled. We are so filled with unfactual information, we've come up with a catchy little term for it now called fake news. And we just talk about fake news all the time. Fake news is in the news news all the time. Weird to me. The, the, is that fake news that's news or is it real? Is it real fake or fake fake? I don't know. But there's all this, I don't know what's really the truth anymore because, and it doesn't it freak you out when you hear something you go, oh my gosh. And you know, people start passing around. Did you hear that? and such yeah Yeah. And then somebody goes, oh, no, that's fake news. And it's actually two or three websites. i will tell you, fake news or real news. It's like, well, who told them whether it's fake or real? Are they faking? You know? So it, it just kind of freaks. But there's something about, I want you to think about this. When somebody gives you, false information as truth. They, they give it to you as truth. And then later you figure out it's not true. Doesn't that stress you out? It does, doesn't it? The whole be anxious for nothing passage is about don't let false stuff slip under the radar. Let the peace of God guard your heart so that you only hear truth and reality. So that facts are what you're leaning upon. And you're not letting yourself get all freaked out by the Fake news. It's very discouraging. It's it's it actually creates an insecurity when you listen to a bunch of fake news. It creates insecurity in us. So the truth is, we need to listen to the truth because John eight thirty two says the truth is liberating because it sets you free. Listen to John seventeen seventeen. This is really important. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's praying. A prayer, and the, the princes are mine, to help me you know what the word sanctify means. John 17, Jesus is praying so hard that the blood's coming out of His face. And here's where He prays to Jesus. And by the way, the, the end of the prayer in, in the Garden of Gethsemane is about this generation, you. It's not just He prayed for His disciples early in the prayer. He prayed for Himself. Then He prays for all of us who will believe. That's you, me. And He says this, sanctify them, which means make them holy and pure. Set them apart from this crazy world we live in so that in this crazy world, because just before that he says, I want them to be in the world but not out of the world. So while they're in the world, I want them to be holy and pure. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the Yeah, so how do we get sanctified? How do we get pure and holy? How do we help ourselves? Jesus is saying it's all about Jesus and His Word. That's how we do that. He is the pure and holy thing that we're to dwell upon. Secondly, think on honorable things. Oh, let me tell you this before we get there. Uh, Dr. Calvert does this survey, um, and we've talked about anxiety the last couple of weeks and worry and stuff. Here's an interesting fact. You know that they've done a study that only 8% of whatever people worry about ever comes true. I want you to think about everything you worried about this last week. You're watching the news, you're worried about our country just going to whatever. Right? Freaked out, about all that. So everything people worry about, just take, take, let's say this is all that you worried about this last week. Here it is. From here to here equals how much you worried. And everything you worried about, whether it's your health, your family, or crisis, or a situation in the country, or local, or whatever, whatever you're worried about, right? Your car, whatever, whatever you're worried about. factual worry. Like worth worrying about. 8%. Wouldn't you like to take 92% of your worries away? All you got to do is believe that fact <laughs> That only 8% of it's really worth worrying about and come back to the place where God's going to be in charge and take care of your life. So the second thing we're to think on is honorable things. Literally noble things. Things which inspire reverence or awe. Things which are worthy of respect. It's the opposite of mundane or earthly or trivial things. Um, things that re- inspire worth and respect. I love hearing stories and reading stories. And uh, Michael Johnson had, had some books a while back about uh, stories of guys in war and, and the Medal of Honor. There's one point you gave me that was from Medal of Honor and all that kind of stuff. Somebody gave me a whole bunch of books, and I took one from him. And uh, I just love reading the stories of these guys. It's all these noble acts, and, and, and they put their self in... In harm's way to save other people's lives and to protect a village and do all this stuff. And it's like, man, they're worthy of respect. We give them medals, you know, sometimes posthumously, but we give them medals. Either way, it's one of those things where it just builds up your spirit. You go, oh, I love hearing about people that do that kind of stuff. People that, I I read you some lines from the uh, book, uh, Andrew White's book, uh, Vicar of Baghdad, uh, Faith Under Fire. I read you some lines from that. And when I read that guy's book, I go, man. Not only am I a sissy, that's the first thing I get out of the book, because I'm a sissy, but then there's this thing that goes, he's just inspiring. He's preaching with a bulletproof vest on every Sunday, and he has to feed his congregation. Somebody will tell you about him and his congregation in Baghdad. He has to feed his congregation because once you become a Christian in his culture, the grocery stores won't feed you. You can't buy food. Your money's no good here anymore. So he has to find ways to have food delivered to the church through people that give for missions work, and uh, people that just support him, has to find $75,000 a month of food for his church family, and every Sunday is grocery day. You walk into church, you hear the sermon, you sing the songs, and on your way out, here's your groceries for the week. We got you covered. That's some serious faith right there. When I read about that, I go, man, all we do is just go, hey, here's some breakfast, and you know, your lunch is on here. He's got some real faith to accomplish that kind of stuff. It inspires me. Think on these things. Honorable things is what the Bible says. First Timothy 2 uses this word honorable. It's the word dignity in some translations. But it's used of deacons and deaconesses. So my board members that are here today, you're deacons and deaconesses. That's literally who you are. You're supposed to be honorable things that we can think on. Number three, think on right things. This word means literally the things that agrees with the standards of God's Word. It agrees with the standards of God's Word. It's a word we get righteousness from at the core. And it means a perfect standard of right living to God's design. Now I've worked with and spent some time with some perfectionists. I was visiting a friend in Birmingham this week to do some ministry. And, uh, and he is a perfectionist to the hilt. Um, some of you all know Dave Nielsen, my buddy. Uh, he's been here to preach for gigantic Dave Nielsen. And, uh, but Dave is, every, everything has to be exactly in its place, in his house. And I went to his house to see him. Everything was perfect. But I did notice, and, and uh, he won't see this or hear this before um, before he gets it. But I noticed when I tried to find his house, his mailbox, his yards pristine by the way. I mean, not a blade of grass out of place. But I noticed his mailbox, the letters were torn off. There were pieces of letters there. But I'm like, what in the world have you let happen Your mailbox doesn't have accurate numbering. How could that possibly be with Dave Wilson being the guy that lives here? So I went to Lowe's yesterday and bought him a set of double letters for each side, the numbers rather, and uh, mailed him his numbers for his mailbox so he can get his life back right. We think we're perfectionists sometimes, right? We get very picky about certain things. We're very perfectionist oriented in a couple areas. Some of us, right? Nothing like God. This, This word, right... Means right according to the highest ever standard of holiness. That's what it means, and we're supposed to think on right things. Then number four, think on pure things. Right behind the word right comes the word that we get the word holy from, hagios. It means ceremonial and morally pure. The root word is holy, but it means clean and pure and chaste. This is real cool. This word means pure enough to hand it to Jesus. Think on things that you could clean up and take into the throne room of God and give. In other words, this is pure enough for you to have now. Jesus. This is for you and God. That's the kind of purity we're to be thinking on. In other words, this this song, this movie, this book I'm reading, I'm going to hand it to you. It's, it's for you. It's pure, clean, and holy, right? Think on those kind of things. Think things that you would you would want to so clean that you could give it to the very throne of God and hand it to Him and Him take it out of your hand and you not feel the least bit worried about that. That's the kind of mindset Paul says we need to have in order for us to have this joy, this contentment, and this peace that he's talking about. We've got to get our minds having the right input so the output comes out good. I'll ask you just real strong, meant to... Be direct to you. Uh, would you watch certain movies or play certain video games or watch certain YouTubes uh, with Jesus sitting next to you? Would you watch those? Would you go, hey, Jesus, come watch this. This is great. We do that in our family all the time. We find these little cool things online. We go, hey, come watch this. this is great. You know? Comedians and stuff that we love. But you got to ask yourself, some of the stuff you're watching, especially when you're not inviting your family to watch, when it's just you, and there's no accountability there, would you pull Jesus up a the chair and go, hey, you want to watch this with me?" Because the Bible says, your mind needs to be protected from stuff that he wouldn't want to watch. You shouldn't want to watch. You shouldn't let it in. You have to protect your mind from those things. Think on things that are pure. Number five, think on lovely things. Lovely, this is a cool word because it's a relational word. It actually comes from the, the Greek, has has a two-part word. It means uh, process toward and then uh, phylos, which is actually the word we get uh, friendship from. Philadelphia comes from that word, the city of brotherly love. That's the word where we get brotherly friendship from. But it means loving, think on lovable relational things. Lovable relational things. Dwell on those things. Now when we have conflicts, when we have conflicts in our relationships and families, you know what we tend to do real quick, jump on the other person or come up with a, Well the only reason you did that is because you're like you're just like this. It goes real negative real fast. Paul's saying, if we were actually thinking like Jesus, we would create loving scenarios. And I'll use the same example I've used many times. When you're at a table at a restaurant and the waitress is not handling it well. She hasn't showed up enough, she doesn't keep your glasses full, she brought you the wrong order, you know, she's late with the menu, you know, all that kind of stuff's happening. You want to go, oh, what's wrong with her? Doesn't she know we're in a hurry? We're busy. You get all freaked out yourself. What this word means, think on lovely things, is to is to relationally connect with that person and go, man, she may be having some real struggles at home. Maybe she's got something physically wrong with her. Today she's not feeling good, and so she's in the back just trying to catch her breath enough to get out here and help us. You know, in other words, to, to to worry. Not in the bad sense, but to worry about that person. To get involved in a charitable relationship with them and go, I don't know why you're being a bad waitress. Maybe you're just a bad waitress. Either way, it's okay. You know, we're relational with you. And we don't want to hurt you. We want to be kind and encouraging and sympathetic and reasonable. That's what this word means. Think on pure things. When you have conflicts in your relationships at work or family, don't go negative. Try to think something out of the box positive about all that and it puts it in a better light. Think on lovely, lovely things and then think on good things. Number six, think on good things. Things of good report. People with good reputations is what the word means. It's the word we get euphemism from. And it's that anything that's well spoken of or the the same word's going to be used in a few minutes, praiseworthy. If it's worthy of praising, think about those kind of things. Then Paul gives these two little summary statements. They're real simple. It doesn't take a genius to figure this out. He says, If it is excellent, morally excellent, and socially excellent, if it is pure and praiseworthy, then we should... And by the way, the word excellent is used of God Himself. It's a characteristic of God. And if it's praiseworthy, worthy of praise... Praise and commendation. Not worthy of criticism or correction, but if it's something worthy of praise, dwell on that. The struggle is we tend to get negative and get fixated on negatives. And Paul's saying let's fixate on encouraging and positive, praiseworthy, excellent things. Psalm 119, verse 37. I'm going to help you memorize the verse real quick and we're going to take a quiz. Psalm 119, verse 27, 37. Turn my eyes from looking at what is worthless. Turn my eyes from looking at what is worthless. Will you say 119, 37 with me out loud? Everybody together, ready? Turn my eyes from looking at what is worthless. Psalm 119, verse 37. Say it again. Turn my eyes from looking at what is worthless. You ever get sucked in? I'm, Kendall and I laugh at each other all the time because... If I get on YouTube and look up something, I'll look up a guitar song or something I like or something somebody's building or whatever, and I'll be looking at it, and all of a sudden there's that whole sidebar over here. Like, oh, I wonder what that is. Look, Bigfoot was found in, you know, Prattville, Alabama. Oh, i got to see that, you know. wonder who, you know, and then the Bigfoot, they lead you to, you know, aliens and, you know, Tuscaloosa. You're going, what the world's happening? You know, so you start chasing, the, you know, and I'll go, God, oh, turn my eyes. What is worthless, you know? It's just crazy how you get lost and. Stupid stuff like that. Turn my eyes, say it out loud again. Turn my eyes from looking at what is worthless. Now we're going to say it together without the screen. You ready? Turn my eyes from looking at what is worthless. You memorized the verse today. Isn't that cool? By the way, you should really memorize lots of scriptures, and that ought to be way high on your list right there. God, please turn my eyes from looking at what is worthless. If you want your mind and your heart to be at peace, You have to keep your mind and your heart pure and clean. If you let garbage and useless thoughts and useless Internet and useless movies and things that are not pure and holy and good and lovely and a good reputation, if you let that kind of stuff saturate your mind, if you spend a lot of time with your mind saturated with that, peace will avoid you. God's peace will avoid you because your mind has too much clutter and too much dirt and garbage in it. So, here's the list, all six of them. Whatever's true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, and good. Somebody name something that's true out loud. Just say something. We're just quiz, pop quiz. You didn't know you're gonna have a quiz game of church today. It's kind of going to class. I didn't know we have a quiz day. Oh my gosh! Right? God is good and God loves me. Somebody, Jesus. There you go. That's true. Think, think on something honorable. Tell me something honorable. Name something honorable out loud. Everybody know something honorable. Take care of your parents. is honorable. It's good. Take care of your parents. It's honorable. You can think on those things. Uh, think on something that's right. Tell me something that's just right in God's standards. Anything. Being kind say again. Being kind, to being kind to others is right in God's standards. I heard another. One. Helping. Helping. Did you say the poor? Helping the poor. Good. Think on things that are pure. This is good. Think, name something that's pure. Holy. Truth is pure. It's good. Something else. Something that, that's something that's pure. Jesus is pure. Say again? Yeah, young children. They have a lot of purity in them. Think yeah. on things that are lovely. This is the part where the men go, well, you go all day. Honey dollars, sugar, you are. Right? Think on things that are lovely, though. It means relationally things that are that are lovely and beautiful to see. Right? Flowers and couples in love. Right? Relational couples in love. Couples are in love is a good thing. Lovely things. Think on good things. Okay. Church Church. Church is a good thing, right? Sermons with quizzes in them. Good things, right? So think on good things. Now, here's a question for you. There's six things up there. Anybody can answer all six of them with one answer. Jesus and there's another one. The Word of God. Jesus. Is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, and good. And the Word of God, according to Psalm 119, by the way, it's right down the page, Psalm 119, true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, good. You think Paul's maybe making the same point he made in chapter 3? Now in chapter 4? Because in chapter 3 he said, I count all things as loss. He's letting you into his brain in chapter 3 saying, none of this matters. It all counts as loss. All of this earthly stuff is lost. Gain for me, the things that matter to me is Christ and Christ alone. I, I, he says, I, I want to be found in Christ, I want to gain Christ, and I want to know Him intimately and be intertwined and connected with Him so that when you see me Paul, you see Christ, and when you see Christ you see Paul. Paul, Christ in me and me in Christ. That's how Paul says it in chapter 3, right? Now in chapter 4 he goes, here's how you're going to get the peace of God to take care of you. Here's how you're going to get contentment. Here's how you're going to get joy it's gonna be all about thinking on Christ stuff. Set your Colossians 3 1, Set your mind on things above where Christ is seated. Not on things of this earth. Don't get lost in all this crazy, terrible, weird political mess that we're caught up in this week. Don't get lost in that. I know it's horrible, it's a little circusy thing happening. And, you know, it's it's quite shameful some of the stuff that's happened this week. It's just shameful, right? But we don't need to wallow in the shame. We can acknowledge it as shameful, but we don't have to wallow in it because, you know what? God's the home of the throne. Jesus is still my Lord and Savior. Jesus still has tons of truth in His Word, which is full of truth, to teach me. So I can be drawn to that and keep that for myself. You will. Here's Stephen J. Cole has this quote. This is meant to be straightforward at you, by the way. You will not be a godly person if you do not control the TV, the videos, the movies, the music, the magazines, the books, and even the radio programs you take in. If something is polluting or tempting you, get rid of it and make plans to avoid it. And I'm just telling you, that's a discipline that has to happen. It's never been something I can do in my own personal life without help. I've had to have men around me that would discipline me and ask me hard questions about what do I allow in and what do I... What have I watched this week and what do I see? And we need to have that discipline in our lives. We need to have accountability. And I know some of you know exactly how that works because you've helped others with it and you've gotten accountability for yourself. But I'm just telling you, you can't be a godly, growing, peace-filled, grace-filled person. That's our goal. You can't do that. Fearless joy is the whole thing we're talking about in Philippians. Have joy, be fearless. You can't do that without getting control of the inputs. And you control the input. You know, every computer has an off button. Every TV has an off, has an off switch. An old English Christian was explaining to a missionary the battle in, or an old, I'm sorry, old Indian Christian was explaining to a missionary the battle inside of him between his flesh and his spirit was like a black dog fighting a white dog. And the missionary said, well, which dog wins? And the Indian said, the one that I feed the most can be the stronger one. So we don't need to feed the darkness in us. We need to feed the light in us. And some of the stuff you watch on TV, I'm just telling you, some of the junk we let just roll into our lives through our televisions or our our internets or whatever, some of that stuff is not healthy. It's junk. It's not just junk. Some of it's bad and evil and got terrible connotations to it. And we need to feed our minds with pure truth. God's Word. If you want joy, peace, and contentment, dwell on pure things. Noble thinking produces noble living. High thinking, chapter 3, high thinking produces high living. And chapter 4 says, holy thinking produces holy living. Now here's a couple little takeouts for you real quick before we share communion together. These are, these are just something I'd love for you to try this week when you go home. It's like your takeout bag at the, at the restaurant. Then finish all the meal. So what I need to do First, you need to make a list of good, pure, lovely things on which you can dwell. By the way, if you're having trouble with any of them, just go to the Bible and say, the Bible and Jesus, the Bible and Jesus, the Bible and Jesus. And uh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus works fine. The more you dwell on Jesus, the stronger you're going to be in your faith. Number two, you need to commit to God in prayer that you want to bring your thought life into submission. If you will bring your thought life into submission, your, your temptations will diminish and your actually your obedience to the will of Christ becomes enormously possible. But you want to bring your thought life into submission to Jesus by learning to think biblical. Well, this past week, you know, Pastor Stan, XYZ happened. My you know, cousin said this about me on Facebook. Well, how would Jesus respond to that? What's the Bible's answer to that? How does Jesus respond to that? You know, you need to think biblically about, you know, i got bad news about this or this is happening in our culture or whatever. Think biblically about it, not how you feel about it, but how does Jesus think about it? That's going to come from your Bible time. And then number three, please memorize some truth to purify your thoughts. The truth is what purifies your, your thoughts. Right? That's number four. Sorry. Number three is keep logging how much TV and internet time you're using as downtime. I promise you, if you start cataloging your downtime on TV, you'll go, man, I just spent three and a half hours watching nothing of spiritual value, nothing of healthy value. Now, there's a time for you just to relax and kind of chill, you know? I get the whole chill factor, but some of us do it for way too long, and we waste time that could be much more productive with, you know, gaining faith and growing in our faith and blessing and ministering to others and just talking on the phone to a sister or brother in Christ and helping them, right? And then memorize verses of truth that purify. Look, it's be a great one to start with. Psalm 119, verse 37 would be another great one. Turn my eyes from looking at what is worthless. Turn my eyes from looking at what is worthless. Amen? Amen.